Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. Warren Ingram is a financial advisor. He is a director at Galileo Capital. How to make your retirement savings last as long as possible. And I think it's the... This I can't imagine waking up the day after you've decided to stop earning money, Warren Ingram, and to think, do I have enough? And I know a lot of people panic about this stuff. You're 100% right. I think the, the panic doesn't um, end uh, for, for about two to three years if, if experience is anything to go by. People have this kind of uh, fear that you know when, when they've been getting a salary their entire working lives, uh, and and then month two, month three, month four of retirement, they realise there is no incoming anymore. It's just their capital, and and they decide they control how much they draw from their capital, and and it becomes quite a quite an exercise in psychology, uh, firstly, and, and fear management, and and then secondly, when we have the events like we've had over the last decade, you know, we, the 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 last decade of the Zuma years. Uh, you know that that causes even more angst for for retirees because they not only are they having to draw from their capital, they actually were getting no stock market growth either. So so you're 100. percent I think uh, you know for retirees, their first two or three years, they, they might need financial advice, but they probably need a psychologist. Uh, you know, e- equally uh, equally valuably. And it's and psychologists aren't necessarily equipped to deal with the practicalities of financial advice. Um, financial advisors, therefore, have to deliver almost psychological support, I guess, and that level of reassurance provided, of course, there is enough, and um, you know, not to fib to people who haven't prepared properly. But how do you then make sure that you get to that time, whether it be remember the olden days, it was sixty, um, sixty-five, seventy. 75 perhaps is the new 60 uh, when it comes to retirement. So, I mean, I think the, f- the, the first thing to understand about r- retirement now is, uh, you know, a lot of us might end up being retired for as long as we work. You know, that, you know that's the, 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 the benefit of, of longevity and the benefit, benefit of modern nutrition and medical science is, we, you know, we're all living longer and longer. Uh, and and we might not you know be, be that sprightly in our late 80s or 90s, but we're around and and we're spending money, and so understanding that uh, you know your working career and your retirement career, if they're the same in terms of length, you you, you need to have a completely kind of passive approach to to your retirement. In other words, don't think of retirement as an end date. You know you know and and that's you know that's the end of your investment time. You, you need to say to yourself, you know, I go from being a professional. In my career, whatever that was, you know, whether you were, you know, a, a plumber, a lawyer, doctor, doesn't matter, and and you know, th- th- thereafter you become a professional investor, and so understanding that uh, you, you, time horizon is a huge issue for you. In other words, you, you need to say, I, I'm going to be investing for 30, 40, you know, years, and and so you know, taking no stock market risk and no no risk on you know, uh, property companies that trade on the stock exchange, and putting all my money in cash. You know, to avoid risk is just not a sensible idea, because unfortunately, you know, for retirees, the the biggest kind of enemy to to a good retirement is is the I word, and that's not Ingram, but it's inflation. <laughs> uh, and and so you've got you've got to understand that uh, you know inflation is like a slow poison that just erodes the value of your investments, just you know day by day, 
in a kind of really subtle way. And, and so for people who, you know, retain a lot of cash, they, they feel great, you know, in the first few years of retirement because they look at their bank statements, they look at their investment statements, they're going up all the time. They never see a down day and they're probably a bit smug about their, their friends that have retired and put a portion of their money into the stock markets who complain bitterly about, you know, the, the down days. But unfortunately, uh, you know, what, what happens to people who have a lot of cash in retirement is that the buying power of their money just just erodes and they, they kind of realize it, you know, five years in. And I think, you know, the Reserve Bank in South Africa is moving very strongly towards limiting inflation as much as possible, talking even of you know, getting the inflation target tightened um, to move it closer to 2-3%. And I think that is exactly the right approach because, you you know, we haven't had the inflation shock um, that people who lived through the 80s and 90s had. Um, I, sort of, I remember 1997 during the Asian crisis when inflation went up uh, hugely and we had interest rates of 24, 25%. And what the Reserve Bank is trying to do is avoid that kind of crisis environment, of course. But in real terms, our inflation rate is much higher than the 4, 5% that the Reserve Bank says because. Um, you know, you might buy a car when you start ret- in retirement and drive it until the wheels fall off, and that's fine. But your medical aid costs are going up by more than the average inflation rate. Your food costs are going up by more than the average inflation rate. Your electricity costs are going up by more than the inflation rate. Your petrol price is massively volatile. Um, and, you know, the real value of your money corrodes much more quickly than the official inflation rate suggests. And that is the killer of retirement security for so many people absolutely and and so unfortunately there isn't a a, a cost of living index in south africa that accurately measures the the, the way our cost of living changes and you know to, to to kind of get on the soapbox for five seconds you know the the financial product providers in this industry you know who employ millions of actuaries you know and pay them a lot of money i mean surely you know as a kind of public good can't you just take a little bit of time and start developing a cost of living index? The information's there. You just got to put it together. Uh, but but back off the soapbox, I, I think the, the one proxy that I always use is the, the cost of medical aid. So if you look at how the, the price of medical aid rises over time, it's probably around about 8 or 9% a year. And so I, I would say that's the best indicator we've got uh, about how our cost of living changes. And unfortunately, you know, if we do get into that uh, sustained low inflation environment that our reserve bank's aiming for, we, we all it's going to be matched also by a low interest rate environment, which means, uh-huh. you know, retiree, mm. retirees need to get used to living with, you know, three, four, uh, maybe if they're really lucky, 5% a year of, of interest, and, and that's going to be taxed. So they're going to lose a chunk of that to SARS. And so they, they need to know, and, and you know, retirees need to, to realize that the, your best protection against inflation always will be uh, productive assets. And, and productive assets are mainly uh, buying shares in companies that are listed on the stock exchange and property companies that are listed on the st- stock exchange, because those two types of assets over very long periods of time have a very good history of, of beating inflation by two, three, four, five percent a year over, over, as I say, over long periods of time. The, the downside is that they come with, unfortunately, a very big roller coaster ride. So, so you see, you know, the, you know, like we saw with the, with the COVID crash, you know, the markets can kind of fall apart and you know lose thirty percent over, you know, almost overnight. Uh, equally, they can recover that in a in a shortish period of time. 
But when you're a retired person, you know, you're living on that capital and, and that emotional roller coaster is much worse, uh, you know, for people who are only living on their money. But it doesn't change the fact that that's where you have to be. That That's the place that is going to give you that inflation protection. Uh, and so, you know, my biggest hint to people who are hitting retirement is, you, you know, get your mix of assets right. Make sure you've got a really good allocation to to those property companies, to those uh, you, you know listed shares, and and a really good allocation for most of us will be somewhere around half to to up to seventy five percent of your investments in 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 you know uh, shares and, and property companies, and then the balance you could put conservatively in cash and and government bonds, but but if you're sitting with you know twenty or thirty percent in in shares, you just need to know. You're never going to beat inflation over long periods of time. SARS is going to love you because they're going to earn a lot of money from you in taxes that they're going to charge on, on the interest that you earn. Uh, and, and you're only going to feel great for three or four years and, until the buying power of your money is gone. Uh, and that's a, that's a horse race you can't get back in again. You know, once, you've, once you've lost that buying power of your money, it's almost impossible to recover. So, so I think asset mix is probably the biggest thing I could say to somebody is get it right. Be prepared for the roller coaster, uh, and and don't be afraid. I mean, I, I guess we do it on the show all the time. You know, we, we we try and give the pointers, but don't be afraid to read a lot. And if you need to go and pay someone to give you advice for an hour or two or three, uh, to to kind of explain to you what's going on and, and get a health check every now and then on your investments. It, it doesn't doesn't hurt you to do that, and and can pay you um, back in in kind of you know bad or, or I guess avoiding bad decisions over long periods of time. So, so I would, I would say, you know, don't be afraid to get the advice. I know I'm an advisor. Everyone's going to say I'm talking my, my book, but, um, but I think that's no, I know it's, and if, if for no other reason, for no other reason, just to give yourself a full night's sleep, for goodness sake. You know, um, the stuff is not worth losing your health for. And I think a lot of people get to retirement and they are more vulnerable physically than perhaps they were when they were in their heyday, um, in their physical heyday. And they start having money worries. They stop sleeping as well as they could. They stop being as healthy as they should be. Um, and it, it sort of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It becomes this really terrible panic. Uh, and this high level of, of insecurity. In a moment, Warren, I'm going to ask you a question. And it comes from Benjamin. Benjamin says, I'm going to inherit some money from my mom's living annuity. I'm struggling to make a choice because I want to pay the least amount of tax and preserve the money to fund my retirement. What is the difference between taking a lump sum or the annuity option? What are the pros and cons of each? That is a question from Benjamin. We'll put that to Warren in a moment. The Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. Benjamin's mum had a living annuity. Benjamin is going to inherit that money and wants to know what to do with it, Warren. I, I think I love this question because it's um, you know something that a lot of people face all the time at the moment. And you know when you talk to, to people who are not that familiar with living annuities and, and, and kind of post-retirement investments in general, the inclination is always to take the cash and run. You know, they, they don't trust the regulations that government have and that they don't like and like or understand the products. And so, you know, their, their first kind of port of call is take my money, pay the, the big lump sum tax and and I can control it thereafter. And, and I must say, I don't think that that's a great decision. In fact, I would say in nine out of every 10 times, the, the, actually the right thing to do is don't take the cash from a, from a living annuity that you've inherited, but 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 rather let it continue and actually just transfer it into your name, and and then draw the least amount of income possible. So so just to explain that, 
Uh, if you've got a living annuity, you can draw a minimum and you're, you're, you're required, in fact, to draw a minimum of 2.5% of a year uh, of the value of that whole annuity up to a, a maximum of 17 and a half. And, and so for me, if, if I'm in Benjamin's position and I want to kind of grow my retirement uh, savings, then understand that the money that you leave in a living annuity, it pays no income tax, it pays no capital gains tax, it pays no dividends tax. The only tax that's going to be paid will be by Benjamin when he draws out the income. And, and so the tax will only be on the 2.5% that he's drawing out every year. And, and the other big thing for me, if he's asking for kind of the, the, the benefits of a living annuity, is that you, you have a lot of flexibility inside a living annuity. You, you can make it invest 100% of the living annuity in international markets that you don't even have to be invested in the South African market at all. Uh, and, and, you know, you can choose 100% in shares, 100% in cash if you felt like it. So, so you can get the asset mix that you need within the living annuity. And then lastly, it's extremely tax efficient if Benjamin outlives the living annuity as well, because it doesn't attract estate duty, uh, executives, fees and the like. So, so I think brilliant estate planning tool, you know, actually a very good investment tool. And, and as I said, uh, you know, I would say don't, don't cash it in if you, if you don't absolutely have to, rather let it carry on and, and preserve your retirement for the future and let it compound in your favor. There are many, many schools of thought on this. I like this school of thought. But one of the schools of thought is living annuities are restrictive. Uh, you need to get your money out of these things as, as you know, if you possibly can. Get your money all offshore. You're telling me that we don't need to do this. I mean, you don't need to be a reactionary, which I think there's, there's, a, there's a lot of reactionary behavior that often happens with things like this. Exactly. And I, and I think just to explain that the, the regulatory aspect of a living annuity, it's, it's not controlled in the same way that retirement funds are controlled. In other words, re Regulation 28 for retirement funds will say, you know, you, you're restricted in terms of how much you can invest offshore, you're restricted in terms of how much you can allocate to shares uh, and, and the like, whereas living annuities, they're a lot more flexible. So you can really tailor make the, the, the living annuity to suit your requirements and your, your life and, and circumstances and your preferences. So, you know, cashing it in because, you know, someone's told you that retirement funds are bad and you've got to cash them in and send all your money overseas, you know, terrible idea. You end up losing more than a third of the, the money immediately to, to taxes. Uh, and, and you could have got a lot of offshore allocation, a lot of offshore diversification inside the living annuity and, and achieved what you needed to. So... I think ignore the reactionaries. They're they're trying to sell you fear. You know that's a that's a terrible way to make investment decisions, and understand that th these things provide enormous benefits. And and you know I, I'm not a, a guy that owns a living annuity company or something. I've got no interest to tell people that. I just think it's the right thing to do. Okay, so let's say Benjamin uh, predeceases the living annuity. He's been very responsible. He's drawn down 2.5% a year, and Benjamin sadly dies, and there is still money left in the living annuity. Can Benjamin then leave that to his heirs? And let's say there was a, a big living annuity, a very big living annuity. Uh, could Benjamin's heirs leave it to their heirs? Can this thing continue in perpetuity? Absolutely. And and I think that, you know, you know it's, it, it's actually replaced... Uh, trusts in, um, as a good form of estate, uh, estate planning where, where people are, are looking at their, their own retirement funds and saying, I'm, I'm only ever going to draw 2.5%. I've done good financial planning. You know, I've got other assets as well that I can use to provide my income. And so I'll draw the least amount. And if you're drawing 2.5% and you, you, know, you invest with a good asset mix that gives you, you know, 10 or 11% growth over, over long periods of time, that, you know, then it's very possible, Bruce, that you, that the thing grows much more than what you've drawn out, much more than inflation. 
uh, and and you, it becomes a multi-generation you know investment asset and and great estate planning tool so so definitely i think it's you know you know it's probably you know sars is happy because they're getting income tax so it's not there there are no loopholes here There's nothing dodgy going on but, but but certainly a legitimate way of avoiding a lot of death duties and and a lot of you know unfortunately not making the lawyers rich because you don't have to pay them you know their executors fees either and and you nominate the beneficiary so you, you you control who the money goes to and you can change those beneficiaries at any time obviously until you die okay uh, and and so you know a great great vehicle i think okay so benjamin has two beneficiaries and each of those beneficiaries has two beneficiaries so benjamin could draw his two and a half each of his beneficiaries could draw two and a half each and they would pay income tax in their own hands and their beneficiaries could draw two and a half each for as long as the money lasted for example yeah and and okay. and certainly you know we're seeing that we, we you know, i mean the living annuities are are not uh, new investment vehicles anymore so we actually have seen you know these going to the second and now third generation of investor not not many because i guess not a lot of people in south africa retire with excess money but but certainly the the, the examples there and, and and it's a great um a great kind of case study for very okay. good planning lovely one final question for you uh, our phrase of the week what is the nasdaq n-a-s-d-a-q so so the nasdaq is the the second biggest stock market in the world and uh it, it's it. Um, I guess almost obvious that it's in America. Um, and it was the first stock exchange to to go completely electronic. So so they didn't you know trade in paper and they didn't have people shouting at each other on the floor to buy and sell things. They 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 managed to go electronic, and and as a result of their kind of technological advancement, they they actually attracted a lot of the tech companies uh, in in the late nineties to be you know to to be the the place that they would want to go and list their shares. And that trend has not changed. So. We see that the Nasdaq in general is the place that most of the tech um, and and I guess the future future looking companies go to list, uh, and and is the place where you know the the, the next sort of generation of of uh, innovators will will try and get their companies listed. So so generally uh, a bit more risky, a bit more volatile than than the old world um, you know New York Stock Exchange, but 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 certainly you know been a great engine of growth for investors for the last almost decade now. Uh, and, and certainly a good a good place for people who are looking for you know the next biotech company or the next you know technology company the next Amazon or Facebook or Google 